0: let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. I thank you so much, Lord, for each one here, and I pray that you'd speak to them now in this time. Uh, Lord, as we open up your word, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us. Lord, that we would be, that we would have soft hearts and open ears, and that we would, that we would be shaped and formed by you today. In Jesus' name, amen. My mic's good, right? Good, okay, all right. Uh, so uh, you, you might have noticed that I wasn't here uh, last week. Um, uh, we had a little vacation, just stayed around. It was great. It was a, a good change of pace, uh, but, uh, and I, lo- I loved the time, loved the time with my family. It was awesome. But you know how some people, they come back from vacation, and, and they go, oh, I could have been like a week or two longer, and it was so hard for me to kind of get back into the swing of things. like, that was not me at all. I came on Monday, and Nate will attest to this. I, I was ready to preach on Monday morning. I was just like, let's go! Like, I'm so, I, I am so full of excitement for what God is doing here at, at the bridge. I've never been more hopeful, never more excited about pastoral ministry, about the church. And so I, I was like, like, seriously, I'm, it is, it's incredible. And so on Monday, I was just like, let, let me in, coach. Like, get me in the game. I want to do this. I was just... Like ready ready to happen. But, but Nate preached a great sermon on Sunday. I was a little bit jealous because he got such a great text to preach, but, but he did a great job of it. Uh, it was a great example, that text of, of, a, of a theme, I think, in the book of Acts, which is that the gospel is going public, that the good news about Jesus is, is, is going out into the world, and, and people are hearing about this. And uh, in one of the many grocery uh, store analogies that Nate used last week, he talked about buying like a big bulk package of food and trying to stick it in the cupboards, and you know the next time you open it, you know the thing's just going to come pouring out at you. And, and that's kind of like the good news. Like you could try to keep it in, and and the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem try to do that. They try to shut it up, but it's not going to work. Like this stuff is just meant to be made known. It's meant to go out there. You know when I was I was growing up in uh, in the 90s, the Christian subculture. My favorite band was The Newsboys. And if you don't know about the Newsboys, you can ask my kids because they know way too much about 90s Christian music for any kid growing up in the 20s. Which is a weird thing to say, isn't it? My kids are growing up in the 20s. Anyways, the Newsboys, they, they, one of the albums that made them big was called Going Public. And, uh, and one of the lines, or the, the line of the, of the main of the, I guess the, the, the title song, there's no straddling fences here. We're going public with this. And the other big one was DC Talk. And uh, maybe their most famous song was Jesus Freak. I don't care if they label me a Jesus Freak, there ain't no disguising the truth. It's meant to go out there. You can't disguise this. You're, people are going to label you, label you a Jesus Freak, whatever. You just go out there. Um, so that's what it's meant to do. But when that happens, you get pushback. Inevitably. All the time. You're going to get pushback. And that's what happens with Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 is that you've got the, the leaders of Jerusalem saying you can't talk about Jesus anymore. They're trying to stamp this thing out. And, and we've seen it, I think, in a, in a very small, in a much smaller way here at the bridge where for years we were, we were a little bit of a hidden church. We worshiped at Cap U. You know, you throw up some sandwich boards on a campus that nobody, where nobody lived and very few people ever visited on a Sunday morning and hope that somebody checked out the website. You know, that was, that was the thing. And and we had office space and we did things in the community. We weren't trying to be hidden, but that was a little bit of the reality. And then we built this building right here on Deep Cove Road and it's like anybody driving to Deep Cove, it's unavoidable. You're confronted with the fact that there's a living, breathing church here and there's some pushback. You know, there have been some people who have loudly and and publicly said, we'd rather these people not be here. So that kind of thing does happen. Now, Nate last week said that he's pretty non-confrontational. I would argue that I'm more non-confrontational, but I'd have to confront him about that so I won't (laughs) I won't do that. Basically, our next hire is going to have to be a UFC fighter, kind of like this guy, just to even things out, you know, just to just to balance things. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, pastor of missions, uh, personally. Uh, so we're we're both pretty non-confrontational. We, I, I don't, I don't like it when there's pushback and, and opposition. I don't enjoy that. And and maybe you can relate to that. It's it's maybe why a lot of us. Who are, who are followers of Jesus, maybe sometimes are tempted to stay silent about this because of the potential for people calling us names and disliking us and cutting us off, alienating us. We, we don't want that, and, and so we kind of stay silent. We feel overwhelmed, even by the potential of opposition, and, and we don't know what to do with that. So let's talk about what we do with that let's talk about what the early church did with that. If you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. We're just going to read the first couple of verses to begin. On their release, so again, Peter and John were thrown into prison for one night, dragged before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court, uh, and now they've been released. So Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, They raised their voices together in prayer to God. So the church so far in Acts has experienced a lot of favor, a lot of growth. It's been been a great season. They're coasting along and suddenly they get their first taste of persecution. The first indication that the leaders of Jerusalem aren't going to go along with the crowds. They're not eagerly giving their lives to Christ. In fact, they're going to try to snuff this thing out. Now before we look at what they do in response, let's talk about what we often do. So you face some kind of threat, some kind of difficulty. Now you're together with people who are like-minded, who are in your corner. What do you do? What's your first instinct? See, I think for a lot of us, our first instinct is to complain, right? To kind of, with, with people who are on our side, to just tear our opponents uh, from from piece to piece right we're, we're just gonna we're gonna dismantle everything that they say everything they do just rip them apart that's kind of the uh the idea or or maybe we just spiral in uh in in, in kind of wallow in an impending sense of destruction you know we just go oh woe is us this is all over or we, we lawyer up. You know, we get ready to fight the legal battle. Maybe we, we hire that MMA fighter and get trained up. You know, we're going to get back at our enemies. We start plotting our, our revenge. That's just kind of what we naturally do. We turn to our strength, our intellect, our wisdom, our thoughts. I've seen it again and again in myself. I've seen it in others. I've seen it in Christian leadership. But it's not at all what the early church does. The very first thing they do is that they pray together. They cry out to God. First response, prayer. And I, uh, I have, like I said, I've often not done this, but on at least one occasion when I did, it changed my life forever. I've shared this story in more detail before, but quickly, it was the night that I told Carolyn how I, how I felt about her. I had a, a whole Hollywood-esque speech planned out, and I was, I was delivering this whole speech, and she Clearly, I should have been reading the body language. She had no interest in hearing this because she actually walked out of the house and was walking to her car, and I followed her along, delivering my speech. I got to the climax, and she was in the car. She had the car turned on. She had rolled down the window. I got to the big finale where I told her how I felt about her, and she said to me, Craig, we're just friends, and that's all we're ever going to be, and she took off. I'm serious. There was, like, there was no like, I just, She said that, and she just drove away. It was the most stone-cold rejection, like, ever. And in every, I've, never, I've never been rejected quite like that. I've been rejected, but not like that before. But every other time, I had, I had spiraled in this, in this kind of bitterness and, and just despair. But that night, I walked right to my room, and I just prayed and prayed and prayed that the Lord would heal me, that he would take away the, the bitterness, that, that, he would, that he would work in my heart, and he did. He filled me with his Holy Spirit that night, gave me peace, gave me joy, gave me love that I, I couldn't explain. And that is why, 100% why, a week or two later, uh, I didn't have any bitterness in me, and, and Carolyn called me and said, all right, fine, let's give this a try. Um, and nine months later, we were married, so joke's on her! first response prayer now that was that was me that was that was a, that was a personal thing here it's a corporate thing the 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 threat, the, uh, the crisis is corporate in nature and so it's a corporate response of prayer where they gather together and cry out to the lord this is so crucial This is so crucial for individuals, but for churches, for families. At every point, if you face a threat, if you face a crisis, if you're overwhelmed, pray. First response. Don't spiral. Don't complain. Don't plot revenge. Don't strategize. Raise your voice to God. Pray. But what's crucial here is not only that they pray, but it's how they pray. Verse 24. They lift their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Very first thing they do in prayer is that they raise their they, they don't only, only lift their voices, they lift their eyes to see God, to see who he is, to acknowledge his character. They say, Sovereign Lord, sovereign, meaning you're in charge. You, you are master. You're creator of, of everything. You made it all. And so whatever we're facing, whatever crisis we've got here, you're greater than that. And none of this is going to surprise you. None of this is going to, is, is going to be too much for you. You are sovereign. You're Lord. You've got this first thing they do. And this is actually how the Lord's Prayer begins too. Um, kind of funny thing you heard earlier that we are, uh, we're doing something a bit different with our Sunday night service. Um, up until now, we've been just repeating the Sunday morning sermon, but, but two weeks ago, is, uh, or three weeks ago, I guess now, it was Halloween, and um, there was like the, the team, like the pastors and the worship team and the coffee team, and then like two other people, and we were like, well, thing we're, we're having a great time, but, but we might need to change things up a little bit here. And so we decided we would uh, extend the worship time and do something different with the teaching, do a shorter thing based on the Lord's Prayer, kind of go line by line. And then the last two weeks before we had implemented this change, the thing's just bursting at the seams. So anyways, we're still going to do it. Tonight we'll get 10 people again. But uh, that's what we're doing. So Lord's Prayer, line by line. And that's how the Lord's Prayer begins, is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Before anything else, you start in prayer, you say, God, this is who you are. You are our Father who loves us and we want your name to be lifted high. We want you to be glorified. We want this to be all about you. It's right at the start of prayer. Focus on Him. See, Kevin mentioned earlier that, uh, man, it's so easy in, in our lives, in our world, to get obsessed with with personal crises and interpersonal stresses and conflicts and, and the problems in the world. Some of us are really, really aware of the issues in the world. We check the news like, like every five minutes we're refreshing the news, right? We're constantly aware. And it's not like the disciples are ignorant of what's going on in the world. Obviously not. But before they ever make a petition, before they turn their eyes to the world, they first Worship, because that is what gives you the perspective you need to rightly understand the situation, to rightly understand the world. So pray, always pray as your first response, but always, always worship. Acknowledge God for who He is. Let's keep going. So they acknowledge God, they they worship Him, and then they pray. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, So here, here the disciples are now looking at the situation. They're saying, "God, you see what's taking place. You see their threats. You see what's happening." But do you do you notice what they do? They reframe this whole situation biblically. They reframe it theologically. They see it through the lens of the scriptures. Which is something you can only do, by the way, if you are growing in your awareness of the scriptures and how this all works. You've got to dig deep to be able to pray in this way. So they, they go to the scriptures and they go in particular to Psalm chapter 2. And Psalm 2 is a psalm written by David about God's anointed one and the opposition that the anointed one faces, how how the nations conspire against the anointed one, and the first readers of the psalm would have understood this to be about the king, about King David, um, but but the disciples understood that this that this whole idea of of the anointed one was fulfilled by Jesus, the Messiah, which means anointed one, that it was fulfilled by Jesus, and that at the cross. The nations, the, the Roman rulers like Pilate and the Jewish leaders like King Herod had conspired together to put him to death. In some ways at the cross, you see all of humanity allied against God's anointed one. And the disciples understood, just to skip ahead a little bit, that if the nations rage against the anointed one, that they would also rage against against the anointed one's disciples, against the Messiah's disciples. By the way, that word rage, just interestingly, was used of, of horses uh, snorting and pawing at the ground, just ready to charge. And this is what the disciples are, are facing in Acts 4. And it's what the church has faced throughout the ages. Uh, this is partly because of population growth, but do you know that in the 20th century, more Christians died for their faith than in all 19 centuries before that combined. That even around the world, all around the world today, followers of Jesus are marginalized, alienated, they pay the, the price uh, financially, they're thrown into prison, and sometimes killed in, in various countries around the world. Now why is that? Well, there's, there's a few reasons, but one is that when you're a follower of Jesus, He is Lord, right? He is above all else. You give your allegiance to Him. Which means that oftentimes followers of Jesus aren't going to go along with the spirit of the age. They're not going to go along with the zeitgeist of, of, of our culture. They're going to stand apart. And when a, when a government or an authority or a tribal group sees itself as an ultimate authority, sees itself as the highest authority, they can't tolerate people who claim allegiance or give allegiance to, to someone else, to someone greater Than them, And that's why, for example, the communist government in China has no problem with the church as long as they can control the church, as long as they can tell the three-self church, if you know about the church in China, what they can preach and what they can't preach. They're okay with that, but it's why they will do everything in their power to stamp out the underground church, which will not obey the government regardless of what they ask, but give allegiance to Jesus alone. And in the West, the more and more our governments uh, distance themselves from any basis in God, the more and more our our authorities see themselves as being the highest authority, the more we are going to see the same kind of thing take place, that faithful followers of Jesus are going to experience the, the plotting, the snorting, the raging of the nations against us. So the disciples look at this in Acts 4, and now they understand their situation because Psalm 2 goes on to say that the nations plot in vain. And a couple of verses later in Psalm 2, we read that God actually scoffs at, mocks the purposes of the nations, that their purpose is to destroy God's people, but God has other things in mind. I... um. I've I've never done martial arts, and some of you look at me and go, yeah, no, that's not surprising at all. Um, But I do, actually, before the service, a couple of us were talking about exercise, and I was like, I don't really like running. I prefer to lift weights. And the guy I was talking to was like, yeah, if you ask everybody in the church, zero people would have guessed that about you. Um... You know who you are. <laughs> but anyways, so I, I know though that in, uh, in the martial arts philosophy of jiu-jitsu, the whole idea is that you take the force of your opponent and you use it against them. You turn it against them. And, and if that's the case, then God is basically a triple black belt jujitsu jitsu spiritual, spiritual jiu-jitsu master. Because he takes the purposes and the forces of evil and he turns it. He, he, he reverses it. And so here you've got the cross where the nations conspire to put the Messiah to death. And yet Jesus or, or God uses that, takes that, turns that, and uses that as an atoning sacrifice for sin. So that all who trust in Jesus can be forgiven, can have their sins wiped away. The nations conspire to put Jesus in the grave and God uses that as an opportunity to display his power over death and he raises Jesus to life. This is what God does. And so the early church can look and can see the opposition, the pushback, and they can say, look, we know what this is and we know where this story goes. Because as followers of Jesus, we are living into the story of Jesus. And so even if there's crucifixion now, we know that resurrection comes. We know that's where the story leads. And so they understand their situation biblically. Now, I want to tell you a story from my own life. Kind of along these lines. Um, It it might uh, come as a shock to some of you, but not everybody always agrees with everything that I say. Sometimes... People don't like what I say. Sometimes people don't like what I'm like, and sometimes people like to tell me that. And and oftentimes this has almost destroyed me. It has it has it has brought about despair and discouragement, and uh, just just has, has caused me to spiral. And it almost happened again recently. I was uh, I was made aware of someone's someone's criticism, and all of a sudden I, I felt this this attack just this attack of of all that insecurity and doubt and despair. And I start sliding down this slope and suddenly I stopped and I went, wait a minute. I know what this is. I, I know, I know from the Bible, from the Scriptures that that Satan is all about killing and destroying, that Satan is an accuser who accuses God's people day and night. I know from the scriptures that, that Satan wants to get a foothold and undermine God's work in his, in his people. You know, and, and I know from the scriptures that my victory will not come from anything that I can do, but instead it will come from what Jesus has done and from his victory. And so I decided to go for a walk. And on this walk in, in into River Park, I just started preaching at the devil, which sounds maybe like a very, very strange thing to do. And I would imagine that the guy who walked around the corner as I was mid-spiritual takedown thought it was pretty strange too. But I just started preaching, and I would actually recommend this. I started preaching at the devil. I was like, look, you might be right about me. You might be right that I fall short and that I'm insufficient, and and that I fail in this way and that way. And if this was about me, you'd destroy me. You'd obliterate me. I would have no hope. But it's not about me. It's about Him. It's about Jesus, and He beat you! He beat you! He took you down at the cross. You, You threw everything you had at Him, and you lost so badly. And then at the grave, he came through death on the other side. You have nothing on him. And so as long as I stand on him, as long as my faith is in Jesus, you've got nothing. You can come at me again and again and again, and I will stand on Christ. Man, I was pumped up. So fired up. And, And it was this moment of like going from the brink of despair to joy total joy and victory because I understood the situation biblically. I understood it through the lens of the scriptures. I understood that I didn't need to obsess over the words of a human being, but instead I could stand in Christ and I knew that my victory was in him. Understand your situation biblically, scripturally, Theologically, that's what the early church does. It makes all the difference in the world. Now, they've worshipped, they've reframed their situation through the lens of the scriptures, and then you get their petition in verse 29 to 30. They say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of, of your holy servant Jesus. So here's where they make their request. There's basically three requests. The first one is consider their threats. And what they're basically saying here is God, you, you take care of this. Justice, vindication, revenge, it's not ours. That's not our job. That's in your hands they're doing what paul said in romans 12 return evil with good live at peace with everyone don't seek revenge because god says it is mine to avenge i will repay that's what they're doing here they're saying god you know their threats you know what they want to do to us you take care of that that's not our job their heart though is especially revealed in the next two requests that god would stretch out his hand and heal and perform signs and wonders and that he would enable them to speak with great boldness. Now notice, those two things are exactly the things that have gotten them into trouble. Right? Do signs and wonders. It was the healing of that man who had been born lame outside the temple courts that ultimately led to their imprisonment, that led to this threat that if you keep speaking in Jesus' name, bad things are going to happen. It started with a sign and wonder. That's what got all this, this unwanted... Well, in the eyes of the world, it would have been unwelcome attention. And, and speaking with great boldness, the Sanhedrin had just told them, stop talking about Jesus. And so the disciples go to God and they say, can you please help us to keep talking about Jesus? All that stuff that's getting us in trouble, God, can, can you give more of us, more, more, more of that to us, please? Like, we want more of that. I mean, why would they pray a prayer like that? Why would they pray, we want more of the stuff that's landing us in hot water? They pray it because their priority is not safety, and it's not comfort, and it's not happiness as the world defines it and sees it. Their priority, their number one priority is the kingdom of God. That's all they want. That's what drives them forward is a desire to make Jesus known. That's, that's what they want. And the thing is they know that in the face of threats like this, that they would shrink back. That, that they, would, they, would become, they would become cowardly. Think about, think about some of those disciples. They all ran away at the cross. They know this about themselves. So they desire the kingdom of God despite the pushback, despite the persecution, but they know that on their own they won't be able to do it. And so they cry out to God to do what they want to see happen, but they know they could never do on their own. Now, I want to tell you about two groups of people who kind of went opposite directions on this. I've, uh, I've shared before that I come from a, a Mennonite background uh, related to the slightly more famous Amish. We're you know kind of big rivals, Mennonites and Amish. I don't think so, not really. Um but I I don't, so I, I grew up Mennonite which is it was a movement, a reformation movement in the 16th century. A lot of people think about it as like uh you know chin strap beards and farmers. Uh my my ancestors modernized like 100 years ago. We drove a Ford Aerostar, not a horse and buggy. Um so yeah, get the, don't get don't have the wrong idea, but um but, but anyways, when I learned about my ancestry, when I learned about how the movement began, I was so i was so proud of coming from this, from this movement, because in the first 50 to 100 years, uh, Mennonites in, in Western Europe uh, were so passionate about their trust in Jesus and about their convictions, and they would tell everybody. Uh, the movement was was spreading, but because the Mennonites were very, uh, very strongly convicted about peace and wouldn't fight in, uh, in any wars, and because they were convicted about baptizing adults instead of babies, Um, they they kind of undermined the whole system of of citizenship and and child baptism in Western Europe. And and so they were were imprisoned and they were hunted down and and some of them were killed. They faced this persecution. And what happened towards the end of the 16th century is, is that the Mennonites essentially made a compromise with the authorities. They said, okay, fine. We'll stop talking about this if you will let us live in our own communities, live according to our convictions. And the Mennonites, for hundreds of years, became known as the quiet in the land. They didn't have really any contact with outsiders, very little influence. They were living a, a distinct kind of lifestyle, but with, with very little impact, because they, they stopped praying this prayer, essentially. They stopped praying the prayer of Acts 4. Another, the other group of people that I wanted to tell you about uh, is the underground church in China, which I mentioned before. And uh, there's a biography that I often that I often uh, recommend to people, and it's one that I've quoted before. Uh, it's by it's about Brother Yun, who was a, a, a leader in the underground church in China, in the house churches of China, and he has this quote that's always stuck with me, and I want to share it with you again. He said, "That's why I correct Western Christians who tell me I've been praying for years that the communist government in China will collapse, so we can live in freedom." This is not what we pray. Instead of focusing our prayers against any political system, we pray that regardless of what happens to us, we will be pleasing to God. Don't pray for the persecution to stop. You hear that? Don't pray for it to stop. We shouldn't pray for a lighter load to carry, but a stronger back to endure. Then the world will see that God is with us, empowering us to live in a way that reflects His love and power. That has always stuck with me. Don't pray for a lighter load, pray for a stronger back. Don't pray for the persecution to stop. How different is that from basically every prayer you've ever heard a Western Christian pray? I mean, I, I hear us praying all the time: God protect us from persecution. We're not even being persecuted. You know? <laughs> We're praying for protection from it. Here's a guy who was tortured in prison numerous times saying, don't pray for it to stop. That's not not our goal. Our goal isn't our safety. It's not our comfort. Our goal is that God's power and his love would be revealed through us regardless of the cost to us because we're all about him. That's an Acts 4 prayer. And look at the result in China. Over the last 50 years or so, the number of people who have come to faith in Christ in China is one of the greatest stories in church history. People have said this is, this, is the, this is the most rapid growth of the church we've ever seen in China over the last half a century. And look at what happens in verse 31. Here's the result of the disciples' prayer. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So the place was shaken. Can you imagine this? Like right now, this place just shaking? I mean, most of us, all of us would be like, ah, oh, it's an earthquake, get out! But the early disciples, they, they, I think because of the context, understood that's not what this was. Something else was going on here. And I wonder if because They they saw everything through the lens of Scripture if they would have thought of Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The shaking of the place in Acts 4 was a sign and an indication that God is King and that He is right there with them. They might feel outnumbered. They might feel outgunned. It's a small group of Christians in, in an empire determined to destroy them. That would feel pretty overwhelming. But if God, the king and creator is with them, then they're going to be okay. And you might feel the same way this morning. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, you might look around and feel like you are a minority. And, and that you are, you are outnumbered, that we are outnumbered. You might feel that way, but if God, the king and creator of all things is with us, then we're okay. Even though Jesus told us to love our enemies, turn the other cheek, it's not a very good strategy in the eyes of the world when you're facing opposition. But if God is with us, it's going to be okay. And not only is God with us and with them, but he fills them, fills them with the Holy Spirit. Now remember that the group here in Acts 4 would have been a lot of the same people in Acts 2 who at Pentecost were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and Peter was definitely in Acts 2 and Acts 4. And, and even, even before this passage, earlier on in Acts 4, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, 4 verse 8, and then speaks to the Sanhedrin. It's almost as though being filled with the Spirit is not just a one-time thing, but rather an ongoing need something we continually need if we are to be God's witnesses, if we, are to, if we are to proclaim his word boldly, we are going to continually need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because we can't do this on our own. And so they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They know God is with them. They know his power is within them. And that's what enables them to speak the word of God boldly. Not just in a setting like this. Not just among like-minded people. But to go out and to share the good news of Jesus with the world. See, the whole book of Acts, the whole story of the church, the, the growth of the gospel depends on this. It depends on God's people praying prayers like this so that they are empowered to speak His word boldly. It depends on prayers like this. Here's how a writer named Samuel Chadwick said it a couple centuries ago. He said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer, his one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. He trembles when we pray. He doesn't, he's not afraid of our wisdom. He's not afraid of our strength. He's not afraid of our thoughts. He's not afraid of us devising our strategies. He's afraid when we pray. When we pray like this. Because when we pray like this in Acts 4, we are acknowledging that what we want to see God do, we could never do on our own. We're relying on His strength. And that's when God moves. That's when the kingdom breaks in. So my brothers and sisters, pray. When you face a crisis, a threat, a spiritual attack, opposition, pray. Lift your voices to God. Pray with your eyes set on Him. Pray by worshiping. Pray biblically by reframing your situation through the lens of God's story in the Scriptures. And pray with your heart for the kingdom of God. Don't pray for your safety. Don't pray for your comfort. Don't pray for your own advancement. Pray for the advancement of the gospel. Pray for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Because when you pray that way, we will see this happen. We will see our church shaken. We will see our city shaken. We will see our world shaken when we pray like this. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Jesus, we want to pray this prayer right now. We acknowledge, Lord, that you are God, creator, sovereign over all things maker of the heavens and the earth. You are above all rulers, authorities, powers. Lord, nothing, nothing is too great for you. Nothing is too big for you. And at the same time, God, we acknowledge that we are weak, that we are unable on our own, Lord, to to do much of of anything in this world. We, We are small, we are weak, we fall short in so many ways. And Lord, we say that our desire is to make you known. Our desire, Lord, is that people would know the abundant, eternal life that comes in you, Jesus. That they would know your forgiveness, that they would know your joy, your peace, your love for them. That's our desire. Our desire is to see the kingdom of God break in, to see you reign and rule in this world. So, Lord, we pray for this. Regardless of the cost to ourselves, we pray, God, that you would stretch out your hand, that you would heal, that you would perform signs and wonders in the name of Jesus, and that you would equip us to speak your word boldly, not just with people who already agree with us, Lord, but to go into the world and to speak your word boldly. God, we ask for the filling of your Holy Spirit afresh this morning. Come upon us as a church that we would proclaim to the world that you live, that you love, that you save, that you reign. In Jesus' name, amen.